So early in the week, I checked the weather forecast as I'm preparing for the sermon, and it's calling for rain. And I started praying, not only because I wanted to be with you, but selfishly, too, I have to admit. I was praying selfishly, so I don't know if maybe God shouldn't have answered. But I, I did not want to preach in front of a camera, I got to tell you. I wanted to preach in front of you guys. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into God's word. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. We can always count on you to come through for us. Even if it's in ways that we don't necessarily anticipate. You are a good God. We thank you for the chance to gather together this morning. We pray that you would help us to have ears to hear what you want to say to us today. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. So my question that I want to start with today is, is following Jesus worth the risk? Is following Jesus worth the risk? My freshman year at the University of Missouri, I lived in a fraternity with some friends from my neighborhood. It was a definite mistake for a brand new Christian, but that's another story. One night at the fraternity, I got into a poker game. And this was long before the popularity of Texas Hold'em. And we were playing a game we called Dealer's Choice. The dealer got to pick what what game he wanted to play. These were small-time poker games where on a good night, you could win $20. And on a bad night, you might lose 10 or 15. Well, this night started off no different until one of the guys decided to play a game called in between on his deal. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the game, it's pretty simple. Everyone antes up a small amount into the pot, probably around a dollar. Then the dealer deals two cards face up to each player. After seeing your cards, you can decide to bet any or all of the pot that you will draw a card that's in between your two cards. The game continues until the entire pot is gone. Sometimes the game's over quickly, as the first better bets the entire amount of the pot that the next card will be in between the three of diamonds and the jack of clubs that he got dealt. He draws an eight of spades and walks away with the small pot. Well, on this night, the game got very interesting, and the pot got very large. That happened because not only did some guys make some unwise decisions early in the game to go for the entire pot on very hard in-between draws, like between a four and an eight, but also because some people 
including myself, were suckered in by the very high probability of being able to get in between a two and a king and then drawing an ace. This happened an unusually large number of times, and suddenly I was in a poker game where instead of the stakes being a couple of bucks, the stakes were now a couple of hundred bucks. And for a freshman in college who was on financial aid, that made me very nervous. I was, I was actually shaking with nervousness in the game. It had gotten to the point where I was hoping that I wouldn't get two cards with a lot of space in between because I didn't want to have to do the logical thing and bet the pot and risk owing a couple of hundred dollars that I didn't have. I was actually happy when another guy eventually won the entire pot and I could walk away from the game with my losses only in about the $20 range. Well, if you can't tell by that story... I'm pretty much a risk-aversive person. For example, this will hurt some of you. I've never ridden a motorcycle in my entire life. My dad taught me that they were dangerous, and so I have never ridden a motorcycle. I like things that are fast, as long as someone has assured me that they're safe. For instance, I I love the top thrill dragster at Cedar Point. But put me on a snowmobile or a jet ski, which depends on me for safety, and I become very conservative in the way I ride. Many of you would say boring. Today we'll look at a story from the Gospel of Mark where a young man is challenged to take a risk on following Jesus. We'll talk about the stakes and how and why he chose like he did. We'll also look at how this story applies to us today. And it surely does. Because each of us has, at some point in our life, we have been or we will be challenged with the risk of following Jesus. And we have to decide for ourselves whether faith in him is worth the risk. We're going to read together Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And I really want to encourage you today, because of the way I'm going to do this sermon, to open up that text, either on your phone or in your Bible, and uh, keep it open. We're going to be referring back to it over and over again. Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31. I'll give you a moment to find that. So I am reading starting at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. 
Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So we are going to do a little bit differently than I typically do in the way I exegete a text. Today we're going to talk through this text verse by verse and discuss the encounter between Jesus and the man who's commonly referred to as the rich young ruler. So, starting at verse 17, he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So picture this scene. Remember, as Pastor Jeremy preached last week, he's just finished this encounter with the, with the teaching about children and how we, the disciples must become like children to receive the kingdom of God, like, receive the kingdom of God like a child would. This man, he's, he's actually setting out on a journey. So you get the, the feeling he's walking already. He's set out. And this man runs up to him falls down on his knees and starts throwing a starts by throwing a comment uh, a compliment at him good teacher flattery will get you everywhere right good teacher he calls him what must i do to inherit eternal life notice the nature of his question he asks what must i do Maybe he'd heard about Jesus' teaching that mere obedience to the law was not enough. He asked, what must 
I do. Verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, it's no surprise to me that Jesus was unfazed by his flattery. And he questions his understanding of goodness. God is perfect in every way, including in his goodness. And that is the standard for goodness here. God's goodness. Some people have actually tried to argue that Jesus was saying, I'm not God, so don't call me good. But as we know, that goes against every teaching of the rest of Scripture. And if you have questions about the issues of Jesus, any issues of Jesus' divinity, I would love to discuss with you what the Bible says about that. But our text continues. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Interestingly, Jesus shares with him the commandments which deal with how human beings relate to each other. He doesn't include those which talk about how humans relate to God. Jesus answers his what must I do question. But what the man doesn't realize is that if he is going to do something to be saved, he has to do it perfectly. That's the standard necessary to gain eternal life in the presence of, the whole, of a holy God. Keeping the law with absolute perfection. Our text continues. Verse 20. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He said, I'm good. I'm a good man. I'm a good human. Have you heard that one? A popular term in today's culture. If you're not racist, you're not sexist, you accept others' views on sexuality, and you're generally nice to all people, then you are a good human. But it's in his dealings with men that this man considers himself to be good. Some have speculated that this guy's maybe a, maybe he's a synagogue official. And since the time of his bar mitzvah, he's taken it upon himself to obey the Jewish law. And in his own opinion, he's done a pretty good job of it. He says, I'm good. Isn't that what many people today, how they would describe themselves in the world? I'm a good person. I'm generally good. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Note first here that Jesus loved him. You know, this. think about this. This guy just ran up to him, interrupted him, 
started throwing comments at him. But Jesus wasn't just playfully mocking him with questions and answers, playing him off as some kind of a fool. He was trying to get to the heart of the matter. And here he does so. Because he loved him, he challenges him. Because he loves him, he challenges him. He says, you lack one thing. What was he saying when he tells him to sell everything? I mean, is this a command that he puts on others? Does, is it a command he puts on all of us? He, he didn't tell Zacchaeus to sell everything. What's going on here? Let's look at verse 22 before we answer that question for the man's response. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus tells him what he must do to be saved, and he doesn't like the answer. Why did the rich young ruler go away sorrowful? Why did he go away sorrowful? I'm going to give you three reasons why I think he went away sorrowful. First, because his reliance was in his wealth. Jesus told him, you lack one thing. Each of us has our one thing. That thing we look to for our security. I would dare to say for many of us in America, it would likely be the same as this young man. But for others, it might be self, family, status, influence, power, a particular relationship. What is the one thing that you count on when the going gets tough to get you through? All of us are called to give up whatever stands in the way of total commitment to following Jesus. He wants you to surrender that thing that you think will give you power and joy without God. Did you catch that? He's not asking you necessarily to sell everything you have, but he wants you to surrender that thing that you think will give you power and joy without God. Where or in whom is your security? If the answer is anything or anyone other than Jesus, then Jesus says to you today, one thing you lack. Secondly, I, think, I believe the man walked away sorrowful because he feared losing what he had. There are many videos on YouTube about how to catch a monkey or a baboon. I don't know if you've ever watched any of these. Simply put some food they prefer in a hole just the right size so that they can reach in and grab the food. 
But with her hand now closed, securing the booty, the monkey is too greedy to let go and is easily captured. I guess maybe we are closely related to monkeys, aren't we? The rich young ruler feared losing his riches. How about you? How'd you do in the stock market crash of 2008? Or what's happened to you financially in this pandemic? Did you panic? I've had numerous discussions with my friends about the whole idea of Christians and retirement accounts. Heard some teaching by Francis Chan that challenged me in that area. Now let me be clear here and admit that I still have my retirement account. And I hope to put it to good use someday. But I'd also like to caution all of us who are followers of Jesus to be careful that you are putting your faith in Jesus and not in 401k. The rich young man walked away sorrowful because his reliance was on his wealth. He feared losing what he had. And thirdly, he didn't realize what he would gain. Don't miss how significant this point is. You see, Jesus asked us to give up everything we have and come follow him. But we clearly win in this exchange. Do you believe that? I do. It's reinforced to me every year when I go on the jam mission trip to Butler. It is almost every year my favorite week of the year. For me, it's a glimpse of what God intends for the kingdom of God here on earth. We worship together twice a day. We spend time soaking in God's word. We hear good teaching from God's word. We engage the world with the truth of the gospel. We serve and love on the people of the community. And all the while, have great fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the kingdom of God on earth. Do you believe that participation in the kingdom of God offers more than the world can offer you? Do you believe that? And in, in his kingdom, those who leave families will become part of the family of God. Those who give up jobs will be given appointments as ambassadors of Christ. Those who give up riches will become fellow heirs with Christ of the cattle on a thousand hills. Welcome to the kingdom of our mighty God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not for this man. No. He walks away Sorrowful, 
not willing to take the risk of surrendering his wealth to follow Jesus. Let's pick up the pace a little bit here and look at the next two verses. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at these words. Why? Well, because Jewish thought of the day was that material blessings were a sign that the blessing of God was upon you. You must be right with God. I mean, look at how wealthy you are. Note also that this is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where he calls the disciples children. Maybe this was to serve as a reminder of his teaching earlier in the chapter, that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a child. And note that children have little concept of money or wealth. Verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. An important thing to note is that Jesus was being very straightforward with his illustration here. Contrary to the popularity of an illustration that has circulated through churches, referring to a camel's gate in Jerusalem that camels had to kneel down through to enter. I don't know if you've heard that one. I've heard it in the past. But my studies showed that there is no historical evidence to support the existence of that gate. It didn't exist. Jesus was more simply just saying, it's plain out literally impossible to put a camel through the eye of a needle. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Verse 26 and 7. And they were exceedingly astonished. And said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Before they were amazed, now they're exceedingly astonished. I could just, they're like, wait, wait. What what are you saying? Can anyone be saved then? I think they're starting to freak out a little bit here, getting worried. If you make it about what you can do, it's impossible. But if you understand that it's about what Jesus has done for you, then it is possible. It was made possible When Jesus, the God-man, died on the cross in your place and defeated sin by rising again from the dead. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you, Jesus. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, 
there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I love verse 30. It shows how the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Despite whatever you've given up to follow Jesus, our text says you will receive back a hundredfold now in this time as you take your place in the kingdom of God as a child of the king of kings. And then in the age to come, when the kingdom is realized in its fullness, you will experience its blessings for all of eternity. My favorite parable is one of the shortest parables that Jesus told. And it is also the antithesis of the story of the rich young ruler. Can you guess which one it is? The parable of the treasure in the field. In that parable, a man discovers a treasure hidden in a field and goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. in direct contrast to the rich young ruler who just couldn't bring himself to risk it all on Jesus. I told you that I consider myself to be a pretty risk-aversive person under most circumstances. But when I was a 17-year-old young man looking for purpose in life, and a way, a way to deal with what I perceived as my own guiltiness before God, I went all in on Jesus. I took the risk. I surrendered my life to him while alone in my bedroom one day, asking him to forgive me of my sins and to take control of my life. It was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I can honestly say that I've never once regretted making that decision to follow Jesus. It was a risky decision because it required faith. God requires faith of us. It was a risky decision, but Jesus has proven himself worth the risk. Join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for giving yourself, giving your life in my place, dying for my sin on the cross. Lord, I pray for anyone here today 
that is not surrendered that one thing to you. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to us, each of us, what you're calling us to surrender and give us the faith to go all in and surrender our lives to you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.